You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore. Our podcast team is taking a break this week for the holidays, but don't fret, we'll be back next week with all new episodes of our show. In the meantime, this week we're revisiting some of our favorite interviews from 2016. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Tom Cole is an attorney with the law firm Talkin & O in Maryland, where one of his specialties is representing people who have been denied security clearances. Previously, Mr. Cole was department counsel for the Department of Defense, representing the government in security clearance due process hearings. We spoke with Tom Cole back in July. So the government uh, does an evaluation to decide whether or not, and this is the standard that they use, it is clearly consistent with the government interest to entrust an individual with uh, the government's secrets. And there are different classifications uh, from, you know, literally just personnel information, uh, social security numbers and dates of birth and things of that nature uh, to the highest level, 
which is uh, top secret uh, SCI, which is uh, a mechanism by which the government separates uh, apart different pieces of, of protected information amongst different groups so that um, one person may know one bit of that information, another person may know another part, but rarely does one individual know all of the different aspects of, of one aspect of, of a government program. So what, what kind of circumstances does one find oneself needing a clearance? Uh, you have government employees that uh, have security clearances, but in the fastest growing area, it's in the cleared contractor uh, realm where a company contracts with the government to uh, either manipulate their data or use their data to uh, run their programs. And in that circumstance, they will be required to have a clearance. Uh, This is also interesting because in some circumstances, that government contractor uh, within their own contract will be creating classified information because they're doing research on behalf of the government and uh, so the information that they have created becomes classified as well. And and we've seen in the past, I don't know, decade or so, there's really been an explosion. I, I guess probably post 9-11, there's been an explosion in, in the number of people who hold clearances? Absolutely, yes. Um, and there's also been, uh, particularly in the wake of Snowden and WikiLeaks, a heightened standard and heightened uh, review of Uh, those that hold those clearances. So you had the sort of boom in the government contracting national security industry, uh, followed by a boom in the uh, focus on security clearances subsequent to Snowden. So take us through what is the process that you have to go through to get a clearance? There are different uh, entities and and agencies that have different processes, but uh, the the two that are the most frequently used and the ones that government contractors will be the most familiar with are either DOD or NSA. Um, You'll complete a security clearance application, commonly what's called a uh, uh, security form uh, 86, SF-86, and then you will submit that to uh, your CFO, um, who is the one that uh, it collects all of that for the company is, is sort of the um, focus point for all cleared material and cleared contractors. That will be submitted to an agency, uh, again, depending on the level of clearance, whether that is a top secret or secret um, or SCI. There will be different levels of investigation. Uh, the the slightest will be an interview with a government investigator, uh, who is a, an, actually another contractor that is just there to interview you about certain questions that and answers that you provided. Um, and then the heightened, the most heightened level of uh, clearance, you'll have a polygraph. Um, and there are within that different levels of polygraph, whether it is uh, full scope or lifestyle. Um, and they'll ask you questions, you know, <laughs> that they often start w- before they even hook you up to a machine saying, tell me something that you are concerned about discussing with me today. And uh, that is when people normally just say all of their life secrets all at once uh, before they even get hooked up. Little do they know that once they are hooked up, they're going to get follow up questions about everything that they just said. So that is the general application process. And then from there, there is, you know, there may be more processes involved if the clearance is denied. So take us through, you know, what what happens when things go wrong? What are the things that typically will trip up this process? 
Um, the things that, well, let me start with the one that most people don't appreciate, and that is significant debt. Um, normally, if an individual has over $20,000 in delinquent debt, meaning over 90 days due, uh, that will trigger a denial. Uh, and, and that can be in, in a circumstance where a credit card is shared with a spouse and they're not aware that they have this debt hanging out there. Um, and I find it to be the most ironic and unfortunate uh, clearance denials because you're taking a job away from someone who obviously needs it the most. Um, and I, I won't say those are common, but they happen enough and, and they are more often than not a surprise to the applicant when they happen. Um, what also happens is a lot of people think that if they've ever used uh, drugs, if they have any you know, offense in their, in their background, that they will disqualify themselves from a clearance. And I can tell you that um, more often than not, uh, depending on the passage of time, past indiscretions will not disqualify someone from a clearance. So um, those people that tell themselves, oh, I could never have a clearance because I smoked pot in college, that is just not the case. Um, now, the cases that I most often see are those who have some repeat behavior, um, such as DUIs, DWIs, uh, drunken disorderlies, or drug offenses that show a pattern of behavior. Because the government understands that people, that we're all flawed and we've all made mistakes in our past, and no clearances is likely to be denied for a one-off experience. But if an individual shows a pattern of poor judgment and a pattern of substance abuse that it, it seems to indicate they're not even in control of their own lives, well, that is when the government's going to say, you might be a perfectly fine individual, but we can't trust you with our secrets because we don't know if when you are inebriated or when you are exercising this pattern of bad judgment, if that's going to then uh, implicate the, the government's concerns. What about things like adultery? So adultery actually does come up, but normally only comes up in two circumstances. One is if the adultery is committed while the individual is in the armed services, because adultery is actually a uh, it's, it's not necessarily a criminal offense, although it is uh, identified in the uh, military justice code. But you can be written up and brought before a tribunal for adultery. And the government's concern is not so much the adultery itself, but rather that you knew that this was a rule that you had to follow and yet you breached it anyway. And that is where the government's concern comes in. So a tendency not to follow the rules. The other circumstance where adultery may come into play is if the individual is susceptible to blackmail. So the adultery itself, again, is not the concern, but, but if the individual, and I've seen this before, if the individual is making payments to someone to not disclose that adultery or is under threat that that will be disclosed, particularly if they are living a, a lifestyle, they're, they're prominent in their church as an example, where that disclosure could have consequences outside of ruining their marriage, um, the government is very concerned about those instances because, one, that is a common area of compromise uh, to, to sort of trap someone in that way and then have that information and use that to extract information. Uh, and two, again, it goes back to that issue of judgment of what, what did you do to get yourself into this circumstance and, and why weren't you thinking better about that when you did it? 
What, when, when someone goes in for one of these interviews and let's, you know, whether it's a polygraph or just a regular, you know, sitting across the table from each other, is, is the best approach to take sort of the, you know, the lawyerly approach of, you know, only answer the question that was asked and nothing more versus, you know, spew everything that they could possibly want to know about you? Well, I, I always say that the best answer to any government investigator's question is the shortest possible truthful answer. Um, so the shortest possible truthful answer is often yes or no, and you can leave it to the investigator to ask a follow-up. Um, but if the answer may be provided as yes or no, that is how it should be given. You need to have your wits about you. You never, ever try to elude or deceive an investigator because that's that's a disqualifier off the start, too. Um, but you, you also don't need to uh, volunteer so much that you're going to uh, put yourself in unnecessary jeopardy. And so what at what point do people get someone like you involved in this process? Well, unfortunately, they normally bring me in later uh, while I would not, not just for business purposes, but for helping the applicant. I'd rather be brought in when the application is being pulled together um, because there are many things an individual can do, such as running a credit report on themselves, looking up their criminal record uh, on various databases that they can do early in the process that make the rest of the process much more smooth uh, because the, the number one trap people get into is the accusation that they've intended to deceive the investigator either through their security clearance application or the failure to disclose something in an interview. So I would love to come in earlier, but when I normally come in is when the government has contacted the applicant and said, we're denying your clearance. And that will either uh, come in the form, again, talking about the Department of Defense and the NSA again, um, DOD has a statement of reasons where they'll explain, this is why your clearance has been denied. And the uh, NSA will have a clearance decision statement where, again, and, and NSA is normally much more detailed in their clearance decision statement than the statement of reasons. Um, so an applicant will get that and then they'll call me up to begin the appeal process. What's your advice to someone who's starting down this path? Someone perhaps has a, a job opportunity that will require this. Uh, what, what should they do? I'd say the first thing is is not to disqualify yourself. I think, uh, unfortunately, so many people are just insecure about the process and concerned about being denied that they won't even begin the application process. Um, the second uh, most important piece of advice is to know yourself and to be truthful with yourself in terms of your background. Because the more, the more you understand about your, the areas of concern um, and the more forthright, again, without disclosing too much, but the more forthright you are about past offenses, past troubles, um, the better off you're gonna be later in the process because the government investigator at the very least will say, this person is telling me the absolute truth to the extent that they, that they know it. Um, so those would be the two core items. Just don't disqualify yourself make sure you, you do a full investigation of yourself um, because the worst scenario is when there's a surprise because chances are the applicant has not disclosed it. Uh, chances are it is much more serious than the applicant had originally considered. Uh, and also you have the shortest amount of time to mitigate against it. Um, if an applicant knows that they have a DUI, uh, before they even submit the application, they can go into AA and complete abstinence from alcohol 
And by the time it eventually gets to an area where the clearance is is at issue, they can say, look, I've done this to mitigate the government's concern even before my clearance was denied. That's attorney Tom Cole. He's with the law firm Talkin and O in Maryland. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.